Hey, I'm Mike Cruz, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their zone of genius, as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders by founders. This is the Founders Forward. So today I am joined by Amanda Getz. Amanda is a fellow Midwesterner, uh, a mom of three, the current CMO of TLHQ. Uh, I believe you're a two-time founder now, currently starting up House of Wise. That's what we'll, we'll get into today. And most recently, I think nearly from what I read online, a six-year stint of VP of Marketing at The Knot. For those of you that don't know, The Knot is, I think, the biggest wedding brand there is. How did I do with that intro? Is that most of the things? Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> okay. Um, I would love this just to kind of start from like the beginning. Uh, you grew up in Illinois, so did I. Um, and I think I saw your first job was at E&Y. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I was there when they're still Ernst & Young before they rebranded to E&Y. <laughs> okay. So how does one go from E&Y to starting your company to the knot? So I grew up, my dad was technically a founder, but neither of my parents went to college and he started his own plumbing business. And I got to see what it was like for him to kind of be his own boss. Uh And so there, I think generationally there's something inside of me, but then when I went to Ernst & Young, I helped manage their entrepreneur of the year program. That was one of my jobs there as I moved up and I got two shepherd founders through that entire process and analyze their companies, but spend a lot of time with these founders. And that was really cool to see both the ups and the downs of what it took to put in to building these massive companies. When I was, that was in Chicago, moved to New York, decided I needed to really hone my marketing skills. So I decided to go to a smaller company where I could touch a lot of different things. So I decided to go to a celebrity wedding planner where I managed a brand across licensing deals, a reality TV show, book deals, you name it, I was touching it. That was awesome experience. And 20% of my job was actually planning weddings. So I have planned over, I think, 120 weddings to date. That led me to starting a tech company in the wedding space. That was my first company. And I did that for a few years, was in an accelerator. And this was back in like 2011, 2012, when the New York City tech was just like heating up and, you know, lots of accelerators were popping up. And so I tried to raise capital, didn't, couldn't. First time female founder, non-technical, building a tech company, people basically just laughed at me. So got it to a point where I had proven that this was a problem. Mm-hmm. That, so my company was all around fixing the availability issue in, in the wedding industry where you have to call people and find out when they're available, match that up with all these different vendors. It was like a massive puzzle every single time you were switching your date or whatever. So I was at a female pitch night one night and Carly Roney, the founder of The Knot was on the panel she pulled me aside afterwards. She was like, let's, let's have coffee tomorrow. And we had coffee. She was like, how's it really going? You know, I want to hear like, really. And this was a few years in. And honestly, I was hitting walls left and right. We were building a very tech heavy product and I couldn't pay for engineers. 
And so I'd proven out that there was a problem, but couldn't keep going. And so she was like, we're solving similar problems. Like, I want you to come lead, you know, marketing and, and our go-to-market strategy. So that was five and a half years ago. The company, I, I led the repositioning, the rebrand, and then we got acquired about a year and a half ago and helped do the acquisition and merger with our biggest competitor, Wedding Wire, to become the Knot Worldwide. And now, yeah. And so that was my last couple of years. That's wild. I need to go back just for my own curiosity. You mentioned celebrity wedding planning and reality TV and licensing. Do you like, were you like licensing like reality TV weddings? No. So his, okay. he, he had his own like product lines that were sold in like Michaels and Joanne Fabrics and all those things. But Got it. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's, whose wedding did you do? Okay. And more recently, uh, you are now the, the part-time CMO of TLHQ, as well as starting a, a you know, you're now a second-time founder with House of Wise. And I think we'll get into House of Wise and, and why you started that in a second here. How did that come to be? And one of the things I find pretty fascinating, uh, and I'm excited to kind of dig into this, is how should founders... You know, think about you're, you're clearly a seasoned executive in top tier in terms of marketers, and, and you're doing this part time, right? For for Teal, so I guess my question is, like, how does that work, right? With Teal, they're they're a startup as well. You're a part time CMO. How does that work, and how should founders like think about leveraging people like part time for those C level type roles for for their own companies? Yeah, so I'll I'll share how it came to be. And then I'll, I'll answer the question of yeah. how founders can think about this. But um, so Teal HQ is a company that helps people take control of their careers by helping you figure out what what's working for you, how to manage the the job hunt process, and 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 so much more. Like how do you deal with the first ninety days in a new job? Performance reviews. They have all of this great content and a very supportive community. So it's kind of like an agent for your career, right? Yeah. I led um, one of their master classes around work-life balance and marketing careers. And I was just like floored how much everyone knew about each other's like job hunt process or work-life balance. And they would, they were just so supportive. And so I loved the community and I thought that they have really great content and a great product. Dave and I stayed in touch. And then a couple months later, I got an email from him that was, you know, hey, would you like to be an advisor? And at the time was when I, you know, had realized that I was going to be parting ways with the knot, just more out of, I I had outgrown that role and really was thinking mm -hmm. about going into the full-time founder thing. And, uh, and I am not a traditional founder. I am a single mom with three kids. So m my founder route is not going to probably look like most. And I shared with him that I, I love building brands. And if that is something he needs help with of taking it into product market fit and then staying with him through his series A and helping hire my backfill, I'm totally game to do that. Because many people think that, oh, you could just be a consultant. But for me, there's something about being in the trenches and caring so much about not only the product, but like the team that's working day in, day out on that. And you can't get that as a consultant. Yeah. And I think, especially for seed stage companies, you have to be in the research. You have to be in that like 
agile moment of like, are we this? Are we this? I don't know. Let's pro- like pressure test this. And I love the zero to one. And so um, I was like, hey, I'm just going to throw it out there. But like, would you be open to me actually coming in for part time, two and a half days a week and helping you get this thing to the next level? And he was like, yes, let's do it. And so that's, uh, that's how it came to be. And I think how founders should think about this is, yes, there's an element of like leveraging my network to talk about Teal and, and I'm going to build in public with Teal as well as House of Wise and, 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 you know, get real time feedback on the products and the content that we're doing, because I do have a lot of marketing professionals that hire me. So I would, founders who think about this, you have to be very clear about what you're asking them to do. If right. you need somebody to be managing social every day, writing content, you know, hitting your SEO content goals, um, that is not a part-time executive. What you're getting from a seasoned executive is someone to spar with, to have those really meaty strategy conversations with, to challenge you. Um, when you need to know, like, are we finding product market fit? Is the brand working? How should I set up my marketing team? We don't even know what acquisition funnels are working. How can this person kind of come in and say, let me test a bunch of things and then we'll set the org up after the seed to to make you ready to just go. So those are the kinds of things I, I think about. Okay. Is it like literally two and a half days a week? Are you like, okay, Monday to Wednesday at noon, I'm doing TLHQ and then... I'm doing house wise, or how do you split that time and like silo it so that you're like have full attention for each different thing? Yeah, similar to what you just said. Two two days, I'm full. TLHQ two and a half days, and then I keep my Slack open until five days a week because if someone wants to ask me a question, um, I, I still look at that. Yeah. In terms of like scheduling meetings and when I'm using my brain power, and I have a funny thing where I don't take meetings before 11.30 a.m. because I get my most that heavy work done from 8 a.m. until about 11.30. And then after that, I can do meetings. But I love to have that time where I can actually do strategy docs, do content mapping, um, like come up with the brand strategy. And so I've only been there for two weeks, but we've already got the brand strategy into a good place. And because I, I kind of like hold that time. I'm the same way. I, I block my mornings because that's when I'm most productive in terms yeah. of doing like heavy thinking. Do you do you structure your day around that? Or like I, clearly you do, but like or is there anything else you do to like structure that like time, that critical time of like I'm most productive in the morning? That's where I can really go deep on something. Do you do things like with your sleep or your diet or anything, so you know you're ready to go at 7 a.m. to 11 or whatever those time times are. Yeah, I'm crazy about this stuff. Okay. Like I know I have taken cortisol level tests to know when my cortisol level spikes, so that way I know that that's when I should do my heavy like thinking, okay. uh, which it spikes for, like really around 8 and 9 a.m. So I have to be in front of my computer like heads down, ready to go. Um, I I get a lot of sleep. People will think this is crazy because I do do a lot, but I go to bed every night at 9.30 p.m. like clockwork. I take my sleep gummy and um, hit the hay and I do intermittent fasting. I try not to eat Monday through Thursday after 
4 or 5 p.m., depending on how late I ate. But yeah, I do all of those things. Wow. Okay. So for intermittent fasting, you're saying 5 p.m. until lunch the next day? No, no, no. I, I, I am a breakfast person. So I have to start like, okay, okay. I head to my computer and I'm ready to go. I got head my coffee, my toast. I'm good. All right. That's awesome. One of our guests coming up is Jeff Kahn from Rye Science, who's like the sleep master. And I'm not, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with Rye Science at all? Not them, but I, tell me more. Sure. It's cool. So Jeff went to Kellogg, or sorry, he went to Northwestern. He was kind of his master's in sleep science, basically. And he was administering sleep plans to high performance teams, NBA, NFL, and oh. Uh That's now kind of turned into an app. And uh, I mean, this is bad radio because uh, we're doing a podcast, but they can, Rise will show you like your natural circadian rhythm throughout the day. And so it's like, all right, here's when you're going to be most productive and least productive so, and you're winding up and down. And uh, I, I based my day off of this too. So uh, I got a whoop. Have you heard of whoop? Yep. Yep. So that was actually really fun because I would know when I could do, when I should push myself even harder for a workout. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm fully charged. Like I have no excuse. I have to go, go hard, like on a workout. Okay. And getting into the wellness, some of the wellness stuff is really what I want to dig into and explore with as we talk to founders. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's like the stuff that's really interesting to me and probably our, our audience. How, so House of Wise, I would love to just one, give us the quick, you know, I hate to say elevator pitch, but what is House of Wise? And you mentioned sleep gummies, which is related to that. So I want to get into some of that too. Yeah. So House of Wise is created because I was navigating a divorce, had three small kids under the age of five, and my company was being acquired and I was dealing with all of this stuff and tons of anxiety and really was struggling with sleep and needed help. And, and whenever I told people that I was taking CBD or microdosing THC, I would get this like crazy reaction. And it took a while for people to get okay with it. But once they saw that it was like someone that they could relate to, it was me, their yeah. friend or their like, you know, cousin or whatever, um, they'd be like, how they would get curious and be like, well, how do you do that? What does that mean? Are you high? And I'm like, no, you're not high. There's no psychoactive in hemp. And so I would just give them a little like CBD lesson. And, um, and then they'd be like, well, so what should I use? And so I realized I was just becoming an ambassador for all these other brands. And I'm like, I want to build something that removes the stigma for women and, and is a brand that they can trust. And I have been working with a team of chemists for a year and, you know, our, our product is tested three different times throughout the product cycle to ensure like consistency and potency and effectiveness. And I wanted to, to bring something to market. There's, you can like walk into CVS and buy CBD and you have no clue where it came from. And right. there's just not a lot of regulation on it yet. And so I think a lot of people are like, I keep hearing about it and maybe they've tried it. Maybe they had a bad experience because of the lack of regulation, but we have three formulas, sleep, sex, and stress. And they all have different things like stress has L-theanine in it. Sleep has melatonin. And so just to make sure that people um, are getting the most effectiveness out of it. Okay. And so how did you get into this? So, right? so it sounds like you you were going through all these major life uh, events. And so you, you, you know, got into this. Was there someone guiding you through the, the, that journey of CBD and like microdosing or is it something you figured out yourself online or reading about it? Or how did you get into it? Yeah. Just myself, like 
exploring and reading, I will research things for a long time um, before I do them. Obviously, like we were just talking about like cortisol levels and all that stuff. So yeah, I was just researching and trying to figure out what was going to work for my body. Because everybody is different. Like even with CBD, it's like drinking a beer. Like if I drink one beer, I'm drunk. And yeah. my body processes it so fast. Where same with CBD, you may need more than one milliliter to feel the the effect and, and whatnot. You have to learn and you also have to like just try and experiment because your body is different than the next person. It's fascinating. I'm excited to dig into this some more. So for... Are you doing a THC product as well or just starting with CBD? Just starting with CBD. That's definitely like the long-term plan. Yeah, because I think what, three or four states just legalized it in this last go around, right? Uh, Okay. And what are you launching? So products will be shipping mid-December. And so we're going to start pre-selling early December. Great holiday gift. And, And so you like work with chemists. This is like you went from like the digital tech heavy world, right? Yeah. To like now you're doing like a startup with like in the physical world. What's been like the most shocking thing that you've learned doing this for the past year now? I, I feel like every day I wake up and I'm like, this will be way easier the second time. <laughs> when you are doing something for the first time, you can't expect yourself to know what questions to ask. And that's the hardest part about doing something the first time. All the stuff that's like, incorporating a company and, and getting lawyers and all that stuff. That was easy this time around. That stressed me out the first time. This time that was like, okay, got that done. Brand, building a brand, getting a designer, all that stuff. Didn't think twice about it. But now I'm like packaging, supply chain management, You know, doing RFPs for packaging. And uh, especially in cannabis, I have a business lawyer and a cannabis lawyer making sure that we have all the right you know, disclaimers and packaging requirements and all that stuff. And, and so uh, you just learn, I'm like drinking through a fire hose, but it, to me, that's so fun. Yeah. I love that. I don't know fully every single thing that I should be asking or doing. It looks like a, a, from what I saw, so I watched your YouTube video and I think there's a teaser of your website scrolling on there. Uh, it looks like one, a highly premium brand. And with that, I guess, how are you thinking about like removing the stigma of TBD or THC or microdosing? How, how are you thinking about building that brand? Because right? I, I agree, it's like people drink three beers a night after work and there's something wrong with that. But you mentioned, you know, you're going to take a gummy tonight and people give you the, the, the strangest look. Part of it is truly like me, me even saying that I used CBD and THC, I got so many DMs being like, I, that, what, like, (laughs) like, tell me more. Like, I don't, you just made me realize that maybe this is something I should be thinking about. And I joke, but also I'm serious about the fact that moms are celebrated on TikTok for like chugging a bottle of wine at night. But me saying microdosing THC and all of a sudden somebody's like, what? Like, that's, can you still raise your kids? And like, there's such a dynamic there where one is celebrated and one has a stigma. And so to answer your question of how are we removing that stigma, it's a lot of education, a lot of storytelling, and a lot of using real moms as the ambassadors. Martha Stewart launched a CBD line. Like I'm not looking for people who are just like 
celebrities to talk about the brand. I'm looking for real women who have influence in their social circles. Is video going to play a role in that? Because I got the sense that like with the YouTube video that uh, you're going to go like video is going to be a big part of, of this from what I can see. We're going we're gonna to experiment with it. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I think video is going to be a big part of teaching people how to incorporate CBD, THC into their, their routines. Yeah. Kind of related to this, one of the interesting things I, I found in your announcement video is you said that you came up with the name when you were on a trip to India. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stuart Butterfield, I think, came up with Flickr not slap and flicker, like when he was vomiting sick on some hotel room floor. Like, I wish I had some cool story, like, oh, this came to me uh, somewhere <laughs> or doing something. But it seems like travel is important. Like, how has travel changed your life? Has that played a role at all in like your journey as a founder and, and like starting House of Wise? That's a really great question. So it's funny. My parents have never been on an airplane. Um, fun fact. Yeah. I grew up with my dad is the town plumber and, and amazing. And, and my mom was a stay at home mom. So we didn't have money and we never ever got on an airplane. And so when I turned 18 was my first flight to New York city. I was like, I'm an adult now I'm, I'm off. And I think ever since then, um, travel, I always found jobs that allowed me to travel because it was so, I felt like I had so much catching up to do and I wanted to go like live in LA for chunks of time filming the TV show or, you name it. With Ernst & Young, I got to travel all around to, to analyze these companies around the Midwest. And it allowed me... Being on a flight, for some reason, allows me so much free headspace. Like I just think. You can't do anything else. Like Now there's Wi-Fi, but I feel like I'm very against it. Like I, it's the only time where I just get to be like in my thoughts. And then you're constantly being... You're exposed to situations that your brain has to come up with solutions that you've never thought about. Like being in India was scary because COVID had started and um, I had a work trip to our Indian uh, India office. I was like, do I go? Do I not go? And I decided to go and I'm so thankful I got back. But yeah, it was scary time in the world. And I used that time to just like check in with myself and that was when the Brownie Wise story kind of came in front of me. So I do think that travel unlocks new, I don't know, synapses in your brain or whatever, but you're faced with new things that you are out of your normal routine and that unlocks parts of your brain. Yeah. And and part of this video, you had like five things you've learned in uh, your professional career. And I'll, I'll touch on a couple of those as we uh, wrap this up. You mentioned living life on your own terms. And you also mentioned earlier in this interview around work-life balance and, and harmony. I sense, I have a sense of like, it's incredibly important to you. So like now that you're building two different brands, you're building one that's your own and one that's uh, part of the, the teal team, like how are you putting that to work of like living life on, on your own terms? In my thirties, I've found that like boundaries are so, so important. And then setting clear expectations with everyone around you, including my kids, including myself. And I have just like ruthless prioritization. I know in that like deep thinking time, the three things that I'm going to do that's output that I know that these three things are going to get moved forward. And I, I don't feel guilty about that time. I don't feel guilty about not responding to emails during that time, to asking people to move um, and accommodate. 
but I know it, the larger goal of moving the brands forward will benefit from me having that prioritization and boundary setting. And so work-life balance is insanely important for me because I need to know that I'm doing my best work when I can, that I support the teams that I'm on when they need me. And then I'm there for my kids when they need me and that I'm like present. And so again, like from five to eight is like my kid time. And then usually from like eight to nine is me time. And then I'm in bed and asleep by 9.30 so that I can do it all the next day and, and give the most during that chunk of time. The sleep is huge for me too. It's interesting. So I guess maybe taking back to House of Wise, how big is the team? And who's on the team? It's just me. It's just you. And yeah. I think when we first connected on Twitter, it was, I think I, I saw something that you said, like just did a pre-seed round in two weeks or something. Uh, yeah. Like insanely amount of time. Like how did that come to be? And can you tell us anything about that? Like, I think that's like really interesting because you've been more or less building House of Wise now in the open for a while. That's what struck me is like, hey, I just learned a bunch of things. I would love to share this with other founders. Like, what did you learn when you did the pre-seed round? Yeah, so I obviously I shared that I couldn't raise capital my first company. And so this time I was way more intentional about it. I think I viewed fundraising as this like ongoing thing that I would like kind of pitch people and be like, well, you know, let me know if you're interested. And there was no real like hard deadline or mm-hmm. sense of urgency. And I like ran a process. And what does that mean? It means that for of probably four months before I knew I wanted to like actually bring the money in because I knew what I was going to do with it. And I was ready to do something with it. I was having those meetings. I was building out a CRM. I was connecting with people on Twitter that might be interested in learning more. And I was building out my robust kind of Excel spreadsheet of people I would want to talk to. Then the Monday of my like quote unquote, you know, fundraising time. I took two weeks in the summer where I was home with my kids and I had help because my mom was, my mom and dad were with me. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be my two weeks where I try to like raise this capital. And I, I only had those two weeks. So every day I, I jam packed every single day with like seven to eight meetings, talking to people, pitching them. And, um, the thing that helped me was I, I launched a company update email on the Monday before I started all those meetings that actually helped me bring to the top the people who were the most interested so I could prioritize those meetings. Because the people that responded to that company update that they were like, this is exciting, would love to chat. I'm like, they're already interested. Let's get those meetings on the books. And then I could then start you know cold outreaching to the other people. But... It was really a process and you have to be intentional about it. And you have to say like, I'm looking to close this round in the next three to four weeks. Let me know if you're interested. And then you keep people posted. We were oversubscribed very quickly, which is a great problem to have. I was not raising that much money. I set out to like raise a very small amount because it's not capital intensive because I am a solo founder. But... Yeah, that helped create a sense of urgency. Once you have a lead, obviously, and you share that with people, people are like, okay, let's chat. Was this angels or institutional people or or what's the mix? And like, who set the terms? It sounds like there was a lead then. Yeah, yeah. So Max Ventures led my round. 
They're incredible based in New York. And then the, I filled the rest with strategics. Okay. And so what's the, the vibe, I guess, with you're spending half your time on Teal and half on House of Wise from the investors. Are they cool with that? Like, what are the expectations for you going forward with, with House of Wise and, and then like the business? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, a very good question because this is so non-traditional. And I think when you're doing something for the first time that most people haven't done, it's not so clear what the next like six months are going to look like or one year is going to look like. What we're focused on is like hitting milestones, making sure we hit those milestones, making sure I'm equipped with like the you know contractor work and all the people that can help me hit those milestones. We assess, we figure out when's the right time to raise the true seed and we go after that. And then uh, my key is being very transparent on both sides especially with Teal. It's like, okay, Teal's about to raise a series A. I'm going to be a part of that. We're going to be clear with investors that, you know, I will be hiring my backfill so they don't, you know, like it's it's like very clear expectations of why I'm here and what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. There's, there's a couple more things I want to talk about before we get into like our standard questions. We ask everyone, you're like OG Twitter. You love Twitter. Um, I love Twitter. And you're also like this incredible, I would call like brand expert whisperer. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned something earlier that I wrote down that I wanted to come back to. You, you know, you're talking about building a brand. Like we just went through a, a rebrand at Visible this summer. Like, how do you know if the brand is working? Like, how do you define like that it is working? So with the knot, when I went to the knot, brand equity was so high, right? Like you everyone knew the knot. Like yeah. if you been to a wedding, you know the not. Brand relevance was going down because the next generation of people saw it as, you know, this etiquette only company tell you do's and don'ts, which the next generation doesn't want to be told what to do. They want to kind of, you know, make their own rules on everything. And so we knew something wasn't working when if you would survey a group of younger pre-engaged people that would be getting married over the next couple of years, you know, what words come to mind when you think of the not, and that wasn't in line with what we wanted our audience to say, we're like, there's a gap. Mm -hmm. And so uh, early stage companies, my biggest piece of advice is you're going, your brand is going to evolve with you as your content evolves, as your audience evolves, as you figure out who your target user is. Unless you're a D2C company, I think brand will evolve with you. D2C, your brand is part of everything, right? How you talk to your consumer, how you look and feel, and what you want them to feel when they experience the packaging, the website, et cetera. But I think in the early days, product market fit, like if you're pre-seed, make sure that your product delivers on your end value prop. Like if you want someone to feel X, does someone come through your product experience and come out saying, I felt X? Once you've narrated that and you've got that user experience where your value props are reflected by the user and what they're actually going through then you layer on that larger sentiment and emotion. But I think many people, and the, you know, I'm saying this as a brand marketer, but over-index on the branding 
an under index on the product. And if you have a great product, it is so easy to build a brand on top of it. But if your product sucks, pretty soon people will realize that the Wizard of Oz is just a man behind a curtain type of thing. So, so House of Oz for you in the product is that I, I have my first sleep gummy. Plus I'm using the sleep one. I wake mm-hmm. up the next day, I'm like, fuck, I slept awesome last night. Or is it something else? So I cannot build a brand on a shitty product. Like this product needs to be the best product. And so that was number one for me. That's why it's been like a year of working with chemists and making sure it's the best hemp that, you know, hemp seed oil and all of that. But because the market is a little bit more mature, your brand matters and where you play in the brand's mind. So like, that's why I said the caveat of like D to C is a right, little bit. Yeah. So I did spend a lot of time. I worked with an incredible designer who used to work at Pentagram. Like she was incredible. And so have spent a, a good chunk of time on the brand strategy as well, because you have to educate an uh, audience build trust with them. And that comes from a lot of content and marketing. I feel like you guys are going to have an insane word of mouth too. Once you launch, it just feels, it feels like that's going to be a big channel. I could be completely wrong, but at least from what I've seen. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So if your brain was getting wiped out tomorrow, what would you write down tonight? Mike. My- Kids' name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair I, I, yeah. I think I would. It would something to do with I, I maybe like the experience of having my babies. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, that's a good I one. Never, I would never want to like lose those memories. Yeah. When do you feel we're really big on conscious leadership with, with our team and people we work with? And they, they have this idea of like your zone of genius, right? Which is when you feel like you're not working. And I think this is similar to number one in your rules, your five rules you've learned of like feed your passion and feed it daily. Like, what is that for you? Like, what do you love doing when you feel like you're not even working? I love when a lot of people are confused and I can distill everything that everybody's talking about, like running and like, if you're in a meeting and everybody's kind of talking at each other and over each other, and it's very confusing. I I don't know why, but my superpower is creating clarity and then creating a very succinct strategy from what everybody's saying, and then giving somebody something to react to. To me, that just comes second nature of like, we're saying a lot of different things. Let me put something together. Is this what we're thinking? Yes, no. And like, let's keep moving this forward. And so I just, I think I just love operating and creating uh, clarity within chaos. Like, love that. I love that. That's awesome. We talked about this earlier. So we, we might have already kind of talked through this rhythm, but like, I, I'm really big on, on founder wellness and psyche and taking care of yourself before you can take other people. What are some things you do to stay sane? I know we talked about the intermittent fasting and, and all that, but like, what are other things you do to, 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 you know, to keep yourself sane as a founder and kind of manage your life? I have this new thing that happened during COVID where I started taking commute baths because I'm not actually leaving my house, but I need that. 
I didn't realize how valuable my commute time, even though it was like 15 minutes on the subway in New York, that commute time allowed me to switch gears. And I would, whether, whatever I would do, scroll social media, or I would listen to a podcast or whatever. But I started digging commute baths where my kids are not allowed to talk to me until I took a bath and and then play like dinner time. And it makes me a whole new person. I like feel like I switched gears and I'm turned off work mode. Cause if I come, like if I were to walk out of this room right now and be with my kids, my brain would still be going from our conversation and I wouldn't have like calmed down off of that, like fun high. And I, I would just be looping and not be fully present with my kids. Are you doing two baths a day then? If it's commute bath, are you doing like a bath and a shower or is it just one bath? That Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that would require like wanting to shower every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that's on my like high list of things to do. That might be TMI. <laughs> the, the podcast, well, the podcast uh, industry thanks you for your podcasting time because I think it took a massive hit during COVID uh, with no one commuting. So I'm sure they yeah. think your, your, um, your bath commute. Final question on our side, something that I started doing at Visible that I've loved is every Monday we go around and give thanks to someone on our team uh, for something they did the week before. Is there anyone you want to give thanks to today that maybe you haven't before or someone that's really helped you out recently? Mm, I love that you guys do that. I think gratitude is very much needed and appreciated um, when someone gets it. So I would say Maria, if you're listening, Maria West, she has been helping me with like copy and content for House of Wise. And every single time I ask her to do something, she is just excited and believes in the mission and just churns out incredible content for me in like record time and on brand and on voice. Like she's incredible. And so uh, and she's also an ama- amazing mom and killing it. And so I appreciate her very much. We better not make this public too soon or else you might not have her working for you anymore. Uh, <laughs> if people get to her. Uh, well, Amanda, this is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story and kind of talking you through all of the things you got going on. I know your time is incredibly valuable to different companies and, and your family. So thanks for joining us. If our founders want to find more, where can they find out more about House of Wise? Yeah, I mean, the best place right now, follow me on Twitter. We'll be announcing when we launch early December. And if you are a woman out there balancing it all, I promise you can function. I literally just took some of our stress tincture right before this uh, podcast so I could chill and be focused. So uh, follow me on Twitter and I will definitely let you guys know when you can get some. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.